0: Right, right, we're going to keep it going. You're listening to Here You Are, Season 3, Fast Ferry. I'm your host, Tom Fleischman. And to get us going today for our third episode is Mark. Hi, I'm Mark Mahalik. I'll be voicing this episode. Great. <laughs> and so you're going to tell us about the launch of the ferry. So what did it look like? Well, from the start, things were looking pretty good. People were buying tickets. They were pretty highly priced, but everyone was still having a great time on the ferry. Things seemed to be going really well
1: once the spirit of ontario got onto the water it was smooth sailing this first trip was a fundraiser for the rotary clubs of rochester and toronto 450 plus people shelled out 500 bucks a pop to take the first ride the media was charged 225 dollars a person to pay for services to cover the event how do you describe the ride smooth very smooth very smooth very nice but it wasn't so smooth sailing outside on the deck
0: on this ship nicknamed The Breeze.
1: Hey, what do you think? It's awesome, man, it's awesome, some
2: power here.
0: Mount Everest, here we come. Oh, yeah. In June and July, the ferry had a lot of business. It even had a Canadian.
2: On its first round trip voyage, about 160
3: people, but only a few passengers were Canadian, including this man. Hi,
0: guys. It made out especially well during the Independence Day holidays in the US and Canada. People were riding the ferry every day, thousands, in fact. By the end of the summer, the ferry had served over 140,000 passengers. And most of these passengers had a great experience and loved the ferry. Behind closed doors, Katz faced problems on several fronts. And it didn't help that Katz's president, Howard Thomas, and CEO, Dominic DeLucia, both resigned from their position just 20 days after the launch. In their place stepped Cornell Martin to stop the bleeding. Cornell Martin, ship expert, steamboat captain, maritime mastermind, political lobbyist, nautical CEO, PR expert. This was the man who Katz hoped would save them from disaster. Now Howard Thomas was a marketer by trade and Delusia a finance expert. So two people not really set up for running a ship successfully. And it showed because Katz was having many problems both before and after launch. The two men stepped down to let Cornell Martin someone with actual nautical experience, take charge as president of the company. Cornell Martin would now be the face of CATS, representing it to the media and running it from the inside. This wasn't Martin's first rodeo, though. He had worked with steamboats, tugs, barges, and shipyards. He represented maritime industries in their dealings with the government. Even his master's thesis was about the Panama Canal. His expertise was such that he spoke to Congress about port security in 2003. Here is part of that testimony.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I am Cornell Morton, Vice President of the Passenger Vessel Association. PVA is the National Trade Association for all types of passenger vessels. Our members' vessels range from small water taxis carrying less than a dozen passengers to international ferries carrying thousands of commuters.
0: Hear that? International ferries carrying thousands of commuters. This guy knew what he was doing. When he took charge, he commanded a company that was in shambles. At the time, Katz was not doing well at all, suffering from a litany of problems, some outside of its control and others due to its own incompetence as a company. Once in charge, Martin could get an overview of the entire financial situation of the company. At this point, in July of 2004, Katz was already $3 million in debt. Now, anyone who works in business or startups will tell you that this is not unusual. Many companies, including Amazon, lost money for years until they finally became profitable. So on the surface, not a big issue. It's when he checked the numbers that he realized how bad the situation was. The company was losing thousands every day, increasing its debt. The owners, Delucia and Prince, were having trouble getting more capital to keep the ferry afloat. Despite all of this doom and gloom, many of the people that actually rode the ferry really enjoyed it.
2: They say the ride was well worth it. The ride was beautiful, the boat was good, the service, everything excellent. We enjoyed it very much.
0: The fast ferry was full of amenities that the passengers loved. It had free Wi-Fi, an arcade, a duty-free shop, a bar, a restaurant, and two movie theaters. Also a scenic viewing platform from where the passengers could watch the lake. According to crew members, this was a fan favorite, but, under all of this, things were going wrong. For example, that viewing platform that the passengers loved, well, during one specific trip there was a storm that the crew thought may take down the ship. While they were struggling to stay afloat, passengers watched the storm in awe from the viewing room. Rave reviews from the passengers, but the stress of life and death from the employees. The ferry always seemed to be dealing with some sort of mechanical issue. The crew was dealing with weekly repairs on the ship. Everything was going wrong from broken horns to engine failure. On one particular incident, 300 Canadian passengers had to be bused back to Toronto after the ferry's engines failed.
3: Patients were thin yesterday when the breeze broke down with engine trouble, stranding hundreds of passengers.
5: I really lost my faith in Rochester.
3: The timing couldn't have been worse for Cats. The boat left Rochester Saturday, sold out for the first time. Cats scrambled to help passengers make other arrangements.
4: While people were late, we did get them back home. We got them home on a nice coach. We fed them, begged
0: for their consideration and extended our apologies for the inconvenience. One of the worst situations workers described was dealing with the routine detainees. Yeah, you heard that right, detainees. Almost every day, U.S. Customs would stop one or a few Canadians from entering the U.S. Usually for criminal convictions or legal troubles. This was post 9-11, so security was heightened. Employees had the hellish job of calming down these people and telling them that they would have to sleep overnight on a couch in the fast ferry. Employees got so used to dealing with detainees that they even had snacks, blankets, cable TV and alcohol saved for them every night. But despite these problems, the average passenger was having a great time and telling their friends about the ferry. Katz found that word of mouth was the way most people heard about the ferry. So in August of 2004, they launched half price days on Monday through Wednesday. This caused an explosion in ridership and therefore huge amounts of free advertising. Colonel Martin even expanded the reservation office and hired new employees to deal with all of these new customers. One thing that the Fast Ferry particularly excelled at was events. Galas for various organizations, retreats for local businesses and family gatherings were all held on the ferry. Over the summer of 2004, dozens booked events on the ferry. The first trip was a fundraiser for the Rotary Club. Many of the customers even sent thank you letters to cats because of how good the experience was. Organizations were even trying to book for the next year of 2005. The event business was booming. But when staff asked upper management to approve of the new 2005 bookings, they were told to hold off for now. The average CATS employee knew of many problems that the ferry was suffering from, but only upper management really understood the severity of the situation. In the various interviews, Martin gave several reasons that the ferry was losing money. To run the ferry, CATS had to pay a lot of fees pilotage fees $6,500 a day, customs fees $2,500 a day. On top of fees, there was also the commercial truck issue. Despite getting an informal OK from U.S. Borders and Customs, the government shut down commercial truck transport on the ferry. This was a major part of the business plan. It cost cats $18,000 per day. Then there was the ferry terminal in Toronto which wouldn't be ready until next spring.
3: There is no terminal, like at home. Instead, there are tents and a temporary setup.
0: We're doing everything we can to to push our federal government to make things happen, and I'm sure they'll work out in an appropriate way, because this is too important to let it fail. Cats couldn't legally leave ferry passengers in a snowy parking lot in Toronto with no shelter during the winter, so all winter operations had to cease. While President Martin tried to lower operating costs, Brian Prince, CEO of CATS, sought external funding to keep the operation afloat. But ultimately, they could not save the ferry. On September 7, 2004, CATS abruptly announced the suspension of the ferry service. The ferry had operated for just 82 days.
4: We couldn't in good conscience continue this operation going forward knowing that there was no relief in sight on these major hurdles that have been put in front of this company since day one.
3: Those hurdles include high fuel costs, an unfinished terminal in Toronto, piloting fees, the inability to carry freight, and Canadian customs fees. And with all of those burdens, it costs $50,000 a day to run the ferry, and that's money Katz doesn't have.
6: I got a call at 1.30 in the afternoon on September the 4th or the 7th, it was the day after Labor Day, I had come in my office and I got a call from either DeLucia or Prince saying the ferry just left for Toronto. That is his last trip, period. It will be closed. We will shut down when it comes back from Toronto tonight. No prior warning at all. No prior warning at all, all right? almost died of a heart attack.
0: In Rochester, there was chaos. After the surprising announcement, the fast ferry had been yanked from service.
2: Now we have nothing but a ticket, you know, for over $100.
1: Now paid-in-full passenger Star Voight wonders... I don't know what's going on as far as tickets or anything, if they're going to, you know, reimburse her. Or... We're going to look at
4: providing the money available to make those refunds, but we would hope that they would reschedule at a future date, and we're gonna try to accommodate that.
1: Well, the folks who run the fast ferry (laughs) scramble to notify passengers about the surprise shutdown. They've yet to tell prospective customers. When 8 on your side checked the Breeze's website this evening, there's no mention of the temporary service shutdown. In fact, customers are still being urged to show up 45 minutes early. And it isn't until after you attempt to book passage, this small print states, no service at requested time. And when we call the toll-free customer service number, is busy or does not answer.
0: So it disconnected us without letting us leave a message. After CAT shut down operations, they promptly laid off almost all of their employees, numbering around 200 people, simply because they couldn't pay them anymore. So there wasn't really anyone left to answer the phones. Angry and upset customers who wanted their refunds had no one to complain to, and more importantly, no one to actually give out the refunds. In response to the hordes of angry customers, the state stepped in.
1: The attorney general's office encourages customers to contact Cats, and if passengers do not receive adequate and timely response, the state is ready to mediate relief.
0: A wave of complaints poured into attorney general Elliot Spitzer's office. The state decided to take legal action against Cats. Cats had claimed that they were not aware of the sheer number of complaints received by the state, that they were out of the loop, probably because they laid off the guy at the phones. Even with debts of $1.7 million, Katz was ordered to pay another $150,000 in refunds to more than 1,100 customers.
3: Many ferry passengers were saddened as they disembarked what will be the last ferry journey for a while. I'm sad. I'm very sad about it because this is my first time over. It was awesome. It's
4: unfortunate, and I wish I knew why.
6: We're totally devastated about it. This was our first trip. We went this morning. It's wonderful. been a beautiful day in Toronto, bragged about the trip, told everybody in Toronto to come to Rochester.
0: Delusia commented to a local newspaper, quote, I think you are looking at the low point right now. The high point is yet to come. After the departure of Cornell Martin, many in Rochester still had the desire to give the ship a new start.
6: I think it had to do with unbridled optimism and naivete, all right? Really, to be fair to them, for every other virtue that they had, they knew nothing about running a ferry business. When we got sucked into this venture, one of the first things we did was to find an experienced ferry operator. We came up with a deal. It had nothing to do with ego or vanity, any of that kind of stuff. It was still a very strong economic generator to link those two cities. We're talking about a metropolitan area of over five million people, that's gonna link with a one million metropolitan area? Who wouldn't make that deal if you couldn't make that deal?
0: With eight councilmen voting yes and only one voting no by the city council, three months after the ferry stopped running, the city decided to buy the ferry back. Despite knowing the fact that it would be a huge risk for all taxpayers and the city, thousands of residents in Rochester still supported the new plan and believed that instead of the private company, CATS, the city has more leverage with the government to make it work.
6: How do we rescue this. Not how do we spare ourselves of embarrassment, but they believed, and they probably still believe, there was some validity in that economic plan to start up ferry service in the United States. How do we get this going? And they turned and said, Mayor, we checked your city's credit rating, and we'll lend you the money. We'll lend you the money to get this venture going.
0: Mayor Johnson believed that if the city had owned the ship from the start, They would have more details about the financial situation, and the operation would not fail. Rochester purchased the ship at auction. Mayor Johnson himself put forward the winning bid, an astounding $32 million, which he made with a novelty, ferry-shaped paddle. After the auction, Mayor Johnson raised a glass to toast the many who stood by him in his campaign to secure the high-speed ferry for the city. While most people in the city council felt extremely confident, one thing was for certain managing a ferry is far more difficult than winning an auction. But the city did have one advantage that cats did not. Unlike cats, the city didn't need to make a profit. The ferry could simply exist as a subsidized public operation as long as it was still good for the city. To make a floundering business work again, the city government chose Bay Ferries Limited to run the operation. They signed a three-year contract. Trying to learn from the recent past, the city set aside $8 million in reserve funds in case of a budgetary emergency.
6: And my belief, if that ship had been allowed to run its natural course, we put it on a three to five-year plan. We had built into our fee payment schedule, now we got debt to pay back. We had built it in. We allowed for that. So we would build in some cushion, some reserve funds to take unknown contingencies into effect. If that ship had been allowed to run, there's no question in my mind it would still be running today and it would be a rather successful venture.
0: Now, without cats, the high-speed ferry resumed service on June 30th, 2005, without delay. The first week was a blast. 312 passengers paid to ride the ferry's first trip more than four times the number on the equivalent voyage last year. (laughs) The Friday morning trip to Toronto dipped to about 200 people, but doubled to about 400 passengers on the return trip. In the first two months, the ferry riders doubled since the startup last year, and everything seemed to be heading in the right direction. The fast ferry's second chance appeared to work. It reported a 96% on-time operation. 76% of passengers said they'd ride it again. The people of Rochester could not wait to see the revenue which the ferry made. Despite the relative success of the revitalized ferry service, the question still remained. Were these numbers enough to support a 774 passenger ship indefinitely? Because of the financial report from the first two months of service, which came out in late August, Bay Ferries revised the fall schedule for the first time, cutting weekly trips from 12 to eight. Then, in the beginning of November, they dropped the weekly trips down to four. Early in December, Bay Ferries cut the season short by stopping the ferry from running. Unlike the Cass operation, the stoppage wasn't due to operating costs. Since it was a city, Rochester could handle those and keep the ferry going as a subsidized operation. What really ended the ferry was all the accumulated debt it had incurred from the start and the payments the city would have to make on that debt. The city would have to take care of this problem before they could continue operations. This time, at least there were representatives to make alternative arrangements for the passengers who had already booked tickets. But this time, it was more than the passengers who were affected. Beeman, owner of California Rolling Two, a sushi restaurant on the port of Charlotte, commented, It is not surprising. We're not doing too good at all. We have a
1: five-year lease, which was subject to a ferry. We have got three years left,
0: and we will not make it through this winter without help. Beeman soon added sushi-making classes to supplement his business. I am definitely going to stay until we hit rock bottom. Despite failing twice, Mayor Johnson was not ready to call it quits. As he requested $11.5 million more dollars, the city emptied their reserves and ran up a $2 million debt with Bay Ferry's Great Lakes.
6: As I was leaving office in the end of December 2005, by then we had developed a whole new operating plan we had developed a whole new marketing strategy. I felt extremely encouraged. Even though I wouldn't be in office any longer, I, I felt extremely encouraged that we were putting this on sound for We had actually contacted our financiers and they have really rolled our payments back so that we actually had months in the new year where we wouldn't have to make any payments toward debt because everybody, believe it or not, Everybody intimately involved with this venture wanted to see it work.
0: Johnson had set up the ferry for another go at it. But, unfortunately, politics got in the way of the ferry's future. At that time, the city was $40 million in debt from the ferry. Digging another $11.5 million further would only intensify the problem. Did the floundering business deserve to be saved again? The answer took over a month for the newly elected mayor Bob Duffy to answer.
2: And as of today, the city of Rochester is stepping back away from the ferry business.
3: The mayor says he had to ask himself four questions. Can the city afford to run the ferry? Is there a sound business and marketing plan? Is there a likelihood for success? And is this the best way to spend $51.5 million?
2: The answer to all these questions is simply no.
3: Last year, the city borrowed $40 million to buy the ferry and restart service to Toronto. But the city got a late start, failed to market the boat, and was plagued by technical problems.
2: We lost $10 million in 10 months.
3: Duffy says even in the best case scenario, the ship will bleed money
2: well into the future. If we double our ridership this coming year, if we raise our fares 20% based on all the projections and the data that we see, we will still lose approximately $2.7 million this year. And that is with the best case scenario. It is a decision that as difficult as it is, I am absolutely at peace with. I feel in my heart, this is the right decision. I am not feeling torn. I'm feeling saddened by this, but I'm not torn. This is the right decision.
0: The end of the ferry was marred by politics. Duffy's actions as the new mayor went against Johnson's plan to continue the ferry, but, At the end of the day, Johnson forgave Duffy for ending operations.
6: I don't think we were given sufficient time to prove its vitality. And because of one thing, really, my term as mayor ended in the first year of operation. And I was determined to let nothing change my
0: mind. I was physically drained and exhausted. I got to get out of here. The sale of the ferry, like most of this entire fiasco, was also marred with troubles. While the ferry remained at the port, The city of Rochester had to pay $1.5 million in the year of 2006 so that a buyer could finally take the ship away. In mid-October, the city even posted the ship on eBay with a price tag of $29.8 million. Though later the city spokesman claimed that to be a joke from the start, there was no doubt that the city wanted to get rid of the ferry before the winter. The sale of the ferry took place over several months, many European companies vied for ownership of the vessel. The eventual winner was a German company called FRS, who bought the ferry for the price of $28 million. Mayor Duffy's main goal was finally addressed, selling the ferry and moving on. On December 21, 2006, at 6.42 p.m., hundreds of spectators lined the Genesee River, many of them waving goodbye as the ferry took its leave in the gathering darkness. Back in Rochester, the empty port and terminal building were silent. In brief remarks to the crowd that gathered at the port to bid the vessel adieu, Mayor Duffy said that anyone who thinks this is a loss, a step backward, should believe that better days are ahead. 40 million dollars had been lost. 113,000 passengers rode the ferry, and two and a half years had passed since the ferry arrived at the port of Charlotte. In its wake, the ferry left behind anger, frustration, and debt. How does Rochester move on from this trauma? Find out next time on Here You Are.
3: The ferry boat
5: every time. This has been Here You Are, a podcast from the Department of History at the University of Rochester. The lead researcher for this episode was Mark Mihalik. This episode was produced by Samson Howe and sound engineering was by Maxwell Sheldon. Our narrator for this episode was Mark Mihalik. The coordinating producer for this season of Here You Are is William Gusios. The executive producers are Thomas Fleischman and Steven Resner. This episode featured music from Pottington Bear. Our theme song, The Ferryboat Serenade, was written by Harold Adamson, Mario Panzeri, and Eldo Lazzaro, and arranged by Eleanor Leno. It was performed by Elizabeth Tye, Lauren Bales, Eleanor Leno, and Diara Bell, and engineered by Ethan Weinstein. A big thank you to Mayor Bill Johnson for agreeing to be interviewed for this podcast. The production team at Here You Are would also like to thank the following people and organizations. Thank you to Michelle Finn and the Rochester Public Library for their guidance and access to newspapers and research materials. Thank you to Colleen Law and WROC Channel 8 for access to their extensive news clips. Thanks to Melissa Mead from Rare Books and Collections at the University of Rochester for her insight into proper research methods and practices. And a special thanks to Sandra Nipsel for interview advice, Sophia Tokar for social media tips, and Janelle Hart for her graphic design work. For more information on this episode, including images, additional links, transcripts, as well as the rest of Season 3, visit HereYouAre.com. Thanks for listening. Our own dancing life is like a body Gras, and Nick you leave, the Nick you love. Happy as we cling together, happy as we sing together, happy with the very Fair old serenade.